0: Today's Daf is Daf Dalid in Masechet Bosh We are on Daf Gimel Amud Bet. We are at uh, seven lines or six lines from the wide line. Six lines from the wide lines at the end of the line, the last word. Now the Gemara had been discussing when do we uh, determine the years of kings and the answer was Nisan for Jewish kings and Tishrei for non-Jewish kings. So now the Gemara is going to continue with that line of reasoning. We proved, or seemingly proved, that the king's years are measured from Nisan to Nisan for Jewish kings. And then we proved from the case of Arotach Shast that something that happened in Kislev was before something happened in Nisan that shows that, that obviously the, uh, and, and yet they were in the same year. So that shows that Nisan was not the Rosh Hashanah, but rather Tishrei is the Rosh Hashanah for the non-Jewish kings. Mativ, Rav Yosef. It says and the 24th day of the month, <coughs> in the 6th month, in the 2nd year of Daryavish, the and then it says, It says in the 7th month, on the 21st of the month. Now, we know, that, again, what, the number of the month, and whether it's a Rosh Hashanah or not, for some particular purpose, uh, is not contradictory. So we have to keep in mind that yeah, it's called the seventh month, but that doesn't mean it's not the Rosh Hashanah. Our Rosh Hashanah that we call the holiday Rosh Hashanah is the, uh, is the seventh month also. So it says in the Pasuk that it was the sixth year, uh, it was the sixth uh, month in the second year of Daryavish, And then it says it was the 21st day of the seventh month. And the implication is that this was also in the second year. Rashi points out that it doesn't actually say that it was in the second year, but it says that from the context, it doesn't mention that it was in the third year, so obviously it's also in the second year. And you have going from the sixth month to the seventh month, and it's not a new year. It doesn't mention that it's the second year of Deir Yavish. So <speaking in> how <Hebrew> could that bevi'i shalosh? If it's true that in the seventh month, meaning in Tishrei, we switched to a new year for the Gentile kings, so then it should have switched to a new year and said that starting with Tishrei, it's in the third year of Deir Yavish. So what happened? am <speaking in> Rabbi <Hebrew> That's talking about Koresh. And Korach was a tzaddik. And therefore, therefore, they counted for him like the kings of Israel from Nisan. And that's why going from uh, Elul to Tishrei did not change his calculation. Matzkif Yosef. Rav Yosef said that doesn't make any sense. First of all, it's a contradiction between the Pasukim then. Because, because we have another Pasuk where it seems like the count is uh, in accordance with what was mentioned before. In other words, it seems like it's inconsistent. And where do we see that? We see that because it says, So it said that the, um, when it's referring, again, it's referring to the construction of the Beit HaMikdash that was going on. And it says, <laughs> the Beit HaMikdash was finished on the Third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the Yavesh, and then it says, and it says, at the same time in the next year, Allah Ezra Bavel, then Ezra went up from Bavel and his exiles with him, and then it says, when they came to Yerushalayim. It says they came in the fifth month, which is the seventh year of the king. So the thing is that if in Adar, Adar, it was the sixth year of the king. So then by Nisan, if we're saying that we're counting by Nisan, so that would mean that by Nisan, it should already be the seventh year of the king. And that would mean if uh, if then Ezra came the following year in the fifth month, so if he's coming already in the fifth month in the following year, so that means that it should already be the eighth year of the king, not the seventh year anymore because we should have had to flip the uh, calendar twice because it's already a year later. We passed one Nisan, we should have put it at seventh year and then we're a year later in the following of actually um and uh and it should say the 8th year not the 7th year that's issue number 1 and he said issue number 2 is right so the that should really be the uh 8th year already because right and moreover how can you say, how can you compare? One's talking about Korish. one's talking about Daryavish. You're saying Korish was a Melech Kasher. This is talking about Daryavish, not Korish. So there's, there's an internal contradiction that in one place it says that we're counting Daryavish's years by, seemingly by Nisan. In another case it's pretty obvious that it's by Tishrei because you see that we went from Nisan to Nisan. We passed two Nisans along the way and it only moved the year up once. So it can't be that Nisan is the Rosh Hashanah. So what do we do? So it says, well, well, no problem. Uh, they're all the same. Those three kings were the same person. The word Koresh signifies that it was Kasher. has the same letters. That was the name of his kingdom. and uh, Or that was his royal name. Uh and uh, there's two possible ways of, of interpreting that. Either it's his kingdom or his, like, royal title. Like, Par'o was the a, was a title. And Umashimo, Shemoh. Dar Shimo Really, his name was Dar So we'll say they're all the same person. So any pasukah talks about Dar could we be talking about Koresh. Any pasukah talks about Koresh could we be talking about Daryavesh, And so on and so forth. Um, according to this drash. Even though it's not the Pshutosh and Mikra, obviously. But that's how the rabbis are midrashically uh, interpreting it. And the uh, so the question is we come so we still have an intrinsic problem even if we're going to say that the and Korsha are the same person so why in one case does it count from Nissan to Nisan, and in one case from Tishrei to Tishrei so the answer is when he was still in when he was still a a melech kasher still a good person so uh, uh, so we counted him from Nisan to Nissan once. Uh, once he became bad again, so, or he became bad, we called him, uh, we changed his name to Yavish. So Rashi says, By the time Ezra had gone up, he already had become sour. He'd become bad. So that's why he started counting from Tishrei and not from uh, Nissan anymore. Af-kana, af-kana, is it really true that uh, Koresh Yavish became bad? We learned in the uh, Pasuk, Uma Whatever the people want. This is uh, what was being said that they would supply from the Beta Mekdash. What their garbage would, would supply for the Korbanot of the Betta Mekdash. So you would have birds and rams, vimrin, and sheep. This is for the olot. These are for the burnt offerings. Lelash Shemayat to the God of heaven. Chintin, that's wheat. Melach is salt. Chamar is wine. Umshach is oil. Like the Quranim, like whatever the Quranim in Jerusalem say, Make sure that they get it every day and they don't, and it doesn't stop. In other words, to the point that, you know, make sure that they have everything that they need. And you see that he's willing to give them a blank check, he says, whatever they need, supply them with it for running the Betha Mikdash. Amarno Rabbi Yitzchak, he said, so Rabbi Yitzchak said to him, that uh He said Mitunach. He he said, from your own package. Rashi explains, He says, I'm gonna give you an answer from the very Psukim that you quoted. The Pasuk that you quoted Shod Dragavish was good, that he's willing to make all, give all these supplies. What about the next part? He said the reason why he wanted to supply it was so that they would sacrifice sacrifices to the God of heaven and they would pray for the king and his children. So it wasn't it was for himself. Are you saying that simply because he had his own ulterior motives that means he wasn't a Melech uh, Kasher, wasn't good? Didn't we learn that if a person gives tzedakah, and he says, so that my children should live, or so that I should have the world to come. This is a perfect tzedik. What's the problem? It's true that a Jew who does that and says, I'm giving the money in order that I will get Olam Abba, or, I'm giving the money in order that my children should live, that's considered Sadiq Gamur. But, uh, but a, a non-Jew, it's not acceptable. Rashi explains, because since the Jew is fully committed to Hashem, even if things go wrong, even if he doesn't get what he asked for, even if he doesn't get, uh, <laughs> even if he has troubles in his life, he's not going to disbelieve in Hashem. He just will think he wasn't worthy. But if a non-Jew does service to God and he doesn't get what he wants, so then he's going to use that as an argument against the reality of God and say that obviously God is not real because he didn't give me what I wanted. And that level is not a real level of worship of God. And that's why it's not valid for the non-Jew who has an ulterior motive. V'bite them alternatively. So that shows you that it became sour, meaning that when he was financing the Bet HaMikdash uh, uh, maintenance, it was for his own reason. So it didn't really count. V'bite uh, them alternatively. de de'achmitz. How do we know that he became bad diktif? Because it says with regard to the construction of the Beta Megdash, when he describes it, so he says that the, when they built the Beta Megdash, they had to make stone layers. So, in other words, he he, he told Ezra basically how to construct the Beta HaMikdash. He told them. You need rows of marble stone, three rows, and the fourth row should be of, uh, uh, of wood. Okay? And they could give it from the house of the king. In other words, he was willing to supply it, but they had to construct it a certain way. Right? So, why did he do this? Because he thought, if the Jews rebel against me, then I'm going to come burn it. That's why I want it to be wood. So in other words, that shows that he wasn't such a good guy because he was trying to use it as a sort of a leverage to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to keep them under control that he would be able to burn down the Beit HaMikdash if he needed to. But wait a second. According to that, but didn't Shlomo himself do this? We saw, uh, we have in the Beth HaMikdash itself, three rows of hewn stone, and one row of wood. So you see that there's also the same thing. You have one row of wood there. So it says, Shlomo did it on top. He did it on the bottom. In other words, the foundation was burnable. That was the idea. Shlomo sunk it in to the building. Whereas, uh, whereas, uh, he didn't, he made it exposed, basically, so that he would be able to have access and to burn it down if he wanted to. Shlomo Shlomo plastered it over, he didn't do it. In other words, the point is that Dari had the Beit HaMikdash built in such a way that it was constantly clear that he was the boss and if he wanted to destroy it, he could. As opposed to Shlomo, that even though he put that in there, maybe as a reminder of the temporary nature of the Beit HaMikdash, he covered it up. He he put it on not on the ground level, and he downplayed it. Rav Yosef, Rav Yitzchak, Milan Rav Yosef, and some say it was Rav Yitzchak said where. How do you, how do you see that Yavesh became bad? Meacha because it says here that the king spoke to me, and it says there, Yosevet it's low. And my uh, Shegal, what's this Shegal it means that he had a dog with him, implying that he had a an intimate relationship with a dog that was his girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever so uh, that shows you the immoral level of Dargavish, which we're saying is the same as Dargavish that's true ha what about what it says? Right, you elevated yourself above the, uh, God of heaven. right? So he says that he, when it was, this is talking about the, the, the time, this famous story of the writing on the wall where they were taking out the Kelim of the Beit Magdash, they were taking out the Kelim of the the vessels of the Beit Magdash that they had from having plundered the Beta Magdash and they were elevating themselves above the God of heaven and giving to everybody around to drink wine out of the cups of the, uh, the Beta Magdash, what had once been the vessels of the Bet Magdash. <coughs> and that's, of course, talking about the case of Belshazzar. So it's a different king, an earlier time. But the point is that it mentions there that he gave to all of his uh, officers and all of and his shegal, uses the same term, and also his concubines, they were drinking wine out of these cups. So the Gemara says that v'i shegal if you tell me shegal means a, a, a dog, you give dogs to drink wine? It says, No, it could be that, you know, you take a little bit, you pour it out, then uh, you let them drink from it. And uh, it says, if that's the case, so, uh, It says in another pasuk, that, so in other words, it's possible, maybe they gave him a little bit of uh, wine, even to the dogs, just to disgrace the, uh, the uh, vessels of the Beit HaMiknash. Could be that still, means, dog so then the, the another pasuk and uh, it says that the daughters of kings in other words princesses are going to be those who honor you and that your uh, the shegal is going to be uh, by your right side in gold or with, with wearing gold so the, the thing is that uh, what, what would that have to do with a dog why would you put that on a dog so it says, what is, the, what is Hashem telling the Jewish people when He's praising, He's saying how good things are going to be, your, your dog is going to have the gold on it, it doesn't make any sense. It says, that the reward that the Jewish people will get, that the Torah is as desirable to us as the immoral actions with animals are to the ovdeko chavim. You're going to receive a golden, this golden uh, jewelry, this golden adornment as a result of that. So in other words, it's still saying shegal means dog, but it's just using it as a metaphor that the thing that is a shegal to you, meaning your ultimate desire, which for the Ovdeko Kochavim is the worst thing and for us is the Torah, is going to give you the sachar of gold. Maybe the shigal isn't really a dog. Maybe generally shigal means a queen. But he had a tradition that in this one case it means a dog. In other cases it doesn't mean a dog. But in, this, in the case of Artachshast uh, it was referring to a dog. In the other cases it, it's easier to say that it refers to some kind of a consort or a queen. The reason why the dog would be called Shegal according to that is because it was like a concubine, it was like a consort to, to the king. Or because he put it in a place of honor, like as if it were the king's consort. That's the, the uh, conclusion. So the point is that from Daryavesh or from Artakshas being an immoral guy, we see that he wasn't, uh, that he, he ha- should have his years counted from Tishrei and not Nisan. them alternatively and How do you know they became bad? Because it says when it's talking about what's going to be sent to the Beit Hamikdash in terms of the amount of money. Ad Kisafka So a uh, hundred kikar of silver. And a hundred kor of wheat. batin And up to a uh, hundred bat of. Wine. So he gave limits on how much oil, how much salt, and so on could go to the Beit Actually, salt, he didn't give a limit. But, Because you see in the beginning, it sounded like there was no limit on what he would supply to the Beit And in the end, there's a limit. No, right? It could be that he didn't become bad. It just means that... Uh, that in the beginning he didn't know how much was necessary, so he said sky's the limit, and then once he found out what was necessary, he fixed the budget in accordance with what was necessary. So, rather, it makes sense that we go back to the original answer, like we said before, either we learn it from the fact that he, uh, his motive in allowing the Jews to rebuild the Beth HaMikdash was a selfish motive, that he wanted them to uh, pray for him, or the fact that we see that he set up the Beth HaMikdash to be able to be destroyed, or the fact that we see that he was engaged in immoral behaviors. Any of those shows you that he wasn't such a worthy king. For Galim. That Nisan is the year is the month that we measure the year with regard to the holidays. So Galim how could you say that the first regal, the first holiday, is the first of Nisan? That's not true. So why are you saying it's Rosh Hashanah al-Galim? The first holiday is actually the fifteenth of Nisan, not the first. What it meant was that it is the time that has the uh, that the holiday which is in the month that comes in in the beginning of Nisan, that is Rosh Hashanah Galim, meaning that it really means to say that the beginning of, uh, that the beginning of course the month is Nisan, but really the First holiday, the, the holiday that is the first of the year is Pesach. It's the one that falls in Nisan. And that is where really the beginning of the holiday cycle begins, is Pesach, not really the first day of Nisan. This, the difference is for somebody who makes an oath. When does he violate the prohibition of delaying bringing the korban that he promised? And this is Rabbi Shimon. Whether a person swore. Or he consecrated something. Or he did a Erech where he said the value of such so-and-so I'm going to give. Once three holidays. He has violated the prohibition of delaying his korban. They have to be in order. If the person swore to give something before Pesach, then Pesach Shavuot Sukkot. If he passes Sukkot, He delayed. But if he offered to, if he dedicated it after Pesach, then Shavuot and Sukkot of that first year don't count. Then Pesach, Shavuot and Sukkot have to pass in an order, meaning all five holidays would have to pass in that case, in order for him to be liable for delaying the Korban. The holiday of Matzot, meaning Pesach, is the beginning, and that's what it means in our Mishnah that it's Rosh Hashanah. There are times that there are four, that there are three holidays that have to pass. Sometimes four, sometimes five. Ketzat Nadar, lefnei Pesach, if you made the there before Pesach, you consecrated something, give it. So then it's just Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. if they're before Shavuot, then you have to go through Shavuot, then Sukkot, then Pesach, then Shavuot, then Sukkot. In order to be considered delaying, and that's Chamisha, it's going to be five. And if it was right before Sukkot, so then Sukkot doesn't count because it was the end of that cycle. Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, so it's going to be four. The rabbis said: Damin, Vachin, People who are obligated in bringing monetary donations or erech that they made, or Charimin things that they consecrated, Ve'ekdeishot things that they consecrated to the Beit Hamikdash, things that they consecrated to the Beit the Kabbait, which is to the upkeep of the temple. Chatod vashamot, sin offerings, guilt offerings, Olot, burnt offerings, Shlamim are. Um, peace offerings that you eat, some of it, Tzedakot, masrot, tithes, bechor firstborn animals, of maser, also the tithes, tithed animals, pesach, the korban pesach, veleket, shecha the, the leket is the uh, sheaves that fall off when, when the grain is being harvested, and then you have to leave for the poor, shechaz when you forget bundles in the, uh, in the field, and peah is when you deliberately leave a corner of the field, uh, unharvested for the poor to come take it. Once three holidays have passed and you have not taken care of these obligations, then you have violated Again, Rabbi Shimon says it has to be three holidays in order. Pesach is first. Even if he misses one holiday and he didn't bring the Koban, the first holiday that comes up, he has to bring it before then and and Rabbi Eliezer says two holidays you get. But not less than that. Over Rabbi Elaza Rabishimono Meir Kevalayan Hagas Sukkod Vale and According to Rabi Rabbi Shimon, it's also always by Sukkot. So if you made the there before Hasaq, you have three holidays. But if you did it before Sukkot, it has to be done before Sukkot. Because Sukkot was going to be your deadline always, according to that. So we have here the Tanakhama. Then we have Rabbi Shimon. Then we have Rabbi Meir. Then we have Rabbi El- Eliezer Ben Yaakov. And then we have Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar. So we basically have, uh, five opinions here of when Baltakir is violated. Maitha what's the reasoning of the Tanakama? Mina minayu salik. In the, in the Torah, it's talking already about Sukkot. And then, lavalil mehadav, mechtav. Then it re- reiterates that everyone has to come up to the hol- for the three holidays to the Beit HaMikdash, even though it was in the middle of talking about Sukkot. Why did I have to mention Sukkot? It's trying to teach you about Baal Tachir, that all three of these holidays have to be involved in order for a person to be considered having delayed. They don't have to be in order, but they all have to be in, uh, part of it. You don't really need to mention the Sukkot because the Torah is already talking about it. That's the teacher that, that is the last. In other words, the teacher that it has to be in order such that that is the last one. Otherwise, you didn't really, you're not really considered to have delayed because you didn't go through an entire. Holiday cycle in order. For Rabbi Meir, Ma'itama, what's Rabbi Meir's position that he says that you'll need one? Because it says you should come there and you should bring there. In other words, when you come up to uh, Aliyah L'Reigel, whenever you come to visit the Beit HaMiklash, you should bring everything that you're going to bring. So, meaning the first time, Rabbanan, rabbis say the that's just a positive mitzvah that you should do that, but that doesn't mean if you didn't do it the first time that you're considered to be baltachir that you violated delaying your korban. For Rabbi Meir, Rabbi will say aiti velo aiti. Since the Torah tells you to bring it in and bring it, kam you're ignoring the command. So it's also how could that not be the definition of baltachir? The Torah tells you to bring it when you come up to the Beit Hamikdash. You didn't bring it, so. Rabbi Eliyad ben Yaakov, my time what's ben Yaakov's reasoning that two holidays is the measurement of Baal tachir. Where do you get that idea from? Because khediv, This is what you should do for Hashem, meaning the, the offering you should make to Hashem on your holidays. And what's mu'adim Mo'adim? And Mo'adichem means the minimum that mu'adim, which is in the plural, could be, is two. So therefore, since the minimum is two, that means that the minimum, meaning that you have up to two holidays to satisfy your obligations, because it you should do it on your holidays. And the rabbi said, no, that doesn't prove anything because that's what rabbi Yonah said. That's the pasuk that rabbi Yonah uses. There's another alacha that we learn from the connection among all the holidays, which is that the offerings, the Musaf offerings, the chatat on the yamim uh, tovim, the one always says, one goat for a chatat, also on Rosh Chodesh. The purpose of them is to atone for contamination, ritual contamination that's occurred in the Betta HaMikdash or in the Korbanot without us knowing. So we bring that Korban as a kaparah for that. It shows that all the holidays have that in common. That's why it says, for Rabbi El for Rabbi Shimon, Maitham, Rabbi Shimon's reasoning that he says that even. Uh That is, Sukkot is the defining factor and only Sukkot, because the Tanayah says Nebrayta. Lo yamer Sukkot The Torah didn't have to mention Sukkot here because it was in the middle of talking about Chag Sukkot. It could have just said, "Come on, this holiday," and also Chag Aton and Chagas Why does it? So why is it written Lama Ma Right. So uh, why is that to mention it? To tell you that this is the cause. In other words, if a person gets up to Sukkot and has not satisfied their obligation and passes Sukkot, now they've delayed. It doesn't matter if they made the commitment before Pesach. doesn't matter if they made a commitment five minutes before Sukkot. Once Sukkot passes, that is when they're going to be liable for having delayed the Korban. Of course, we're going to learn in the ensuing Gemara that that doesn't mean that the Korban is invalid in any way. It just means that the person incurred a violation for delaying it.